Welcome to Wednesday Troublemakers. Oh. We got a lot of trouble to talk about. Auction house we drama. NPR story on Steeler ships and Nordstrom heading upstream. And a little bit of bring a trailer, too. Everywhere I go, the people really want to know. A little bit of bring a trailer. There's a lot of people that don't know what bring a trailer is. So we're going to have to introduce it and then and then roll down what, what's really happening. But there's nothing so. more car guy, car gal than bring a trailer, honestly. <laughs> it's perfect. I, we promise we will, we will addict you to your next drip email and help you to spend time you didn't have looking at vehicles you're not going to buy. So <laughs> that's pretty much my summary of bring a trailer. That's a great line. Spending that's time. I line. don't have to look at vehicles. I'm not going to buy. That should be their tagline, <laughs> but they sell a lot of vehicles actually, <laughs> but they sell a lot, a lot, a lot of vehicles. Oh man. If you haven't been listening, the auto collabs podcast is in full effect being two episodes releasing every day. You may ask how we record so many podcasts. We don't have an answer for that, but the two today not sure are- yet. Are Mike Darrow and Aaron, Aaron Sparks uh, getting getting like down with the people in the buildings, in the dealerships, especially with Aaron Sparks? Um, she's just in between yes. operations and marketing and sales and all that stuff, like the Stretch Armstrong doll. Remember those? Every, every single – said every single marketer ever, right? <laughs> they were like – right, Got the right. arms and the legs. Still have the smile <laughs> on their face. Get, yeah. <laughs> Heads wobbling because getting pulled in 18 different directions. Oh, that is it's pretty good so summary good. of a marketing director in an automotive group or automotive store. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. There we go. Hey, we got a lot to cover today. And I feel like bit. we're gonna there's gonna be some commentary. Like it might hit it might hit the comment section. You and I might get sideways. I don't know. We gotta Okay. Go. okay, so <laughs> we, we got to start. We got to start. Okay, so ACV, the auction company, digital auction company, has filed an antitrust lawsuit against many physical auction, including the Giants, Mannheim, and Carvana-owned Odessa. It must be nice to buy a business and then get sued immediately from it. And many others <laughs> whom it claims conspired to deny them access to auto IMS, which is an industry standard platform in auto remarketing. So I guess it's a platform where cars transact. You know, inventory feeds are pulled from all that. It's provided, actually, that platform by a joint venture of uh, the four big auction companies. And they all cut together and formed Auto Auction Services Corporation, who is also named in the lawsuit. And the lawsuit states, Auto IMS is inconsistently enforced its physical auction requirement to preclude membership to certain digital-only platforms like ACV, which, by the way, they mentioned, pose an existential competitive threat to... National, what is it? N A A A. National Auction, National Auto Auction Services Corp. Controlling there members, they point to the fact that many other auction houses now also offer digital only products and solutions to wholesale vehicles, and they also absolutely. This is this is, this is the, the final punch. Like they're like, well, why we're doing this is because we lost customers like Hyundai Capital, little little customer there, and Santander, little customer there. Little, little bitty customer. Since <laughs> since ACV didn't have access to auto IMS and the workflows of those other two companies were built around that platform because it is the industry standard platform. And so they're seeking injunctive relief, monetary damages, and of course, legal fees. Man, okay, so here's the thing. The the kicker on this one is the fact that I know many dealerships that never step foot in physical locations of auctions yet still rely on auctions for inventory. Places like mm-hmm. 
Odessa and Mannheim and all of those, you know, people included and companies included in, in, in this new space. It, it takes me back to reading the innovation stack by Jim McKelvey. If you don't know what that book is, check it out. Also come to a SodaCon because Jim McKelvey will be there. He was actually on our back. Zoom call yesterday. He was on our Zoom call. Awesome. It was amazing. I can't with believe all, we didn't with talk all, about over that. 50 other speakers. We'll talk know, about that crazy. in a minute. Go ahead. But it takes me back to this story of a little company called Southwest Mm-mm. going up against a few big companies, namely Delta, American United, back when they came on the scene saying, hey, look, there's some there's some there's some things that stay at, at play here that are not allowing new competitors to come into the ecosystem and brought and more broadly serve stifling Here's innovation, stifling. There's two things that happen. One stifles innovation Two. Like you, like, is there, are you so guarded as a company or as companies? And this is where I think franchise retail has a lot of learn, a lot to learn from this discussion. Are you so guarded and, and like feel the pressure and weight of new entrants because most likely you've lost your competitive edge is, is typically the reason why you're guarding against something so deeply. And so I'm just going to like, I'm going to turn this straight into franchise retail conversations. Are we so guarded and so worried about our ability to serve customers that we have to turn to legal alone to protect our own devices? Mm-hmm. Watch out. Yeah, that's, Watch that's pull out. a pin, roll a grenade in the room and see what happens. You're welcome. It's a little bit of a flashbang hey, there. We, I, got, I got a whole belt of them this morning, so you better <laughs> watch out. <laughs> Strapped up today. I mean, cost- efficiency, um, solving actual consumer problems, you know, kind of with with a holistic view or like an atheistic view on like, you know, what you're going to hold true to, what you need to preserve because it's a legacy thing. It always finds the light of day. It always finds. And sometimes always. that's through innovation. The pattern usually goes everyone who's got a vested interest in keeping things the way they were are going to band together to try to keep it out. And then Eventually, it's going to see the light of day. Right now, the litigation here that we'll see what happens with this one. It's obviously slowing it down, but we are saying ACV came to market with, um, you know, with a solution that tons of dealers use in a manner that tons of the auction houses actually deploy as well. Um, yep. And this is this is so it's a little family drama. It feels like, right? Oh, like little, little like like family the, drama. Yeah, like. yeah. Like the, like the franchise <laughs> auto dealer Carvana. Like that's not family drama. Like auctions and auctions. It feels right. it feels like this is like Thanksgiving Day drama. <laughs> it does. Speaking of drama, oh boy. Segway. I'm getting pretty quick on that trigger pad. I literally didn't you even are. look to the left. I pushed the slider up and hit the You're button. Like, Bam! I got it. I got it. <laughs> So NPR released a story titled Inside the Rise of Steelerships, which is basically No, you didn't read the whole title. Punchline. You didn't read the whole title. It gets worse. Oh, and the shady economics of car buying. Yeah, that's the whole title. There you go. <laughs> yeah, which both of those both both sides of that is basically the punchline and you can kind of take the the route of knowing where this is probably going to head but it it storied the writer's journey greg uh rolanski to find a new truck to replace his stolen one and um man i'm gonna let you kind of read through the bullet points of this but if if i'm a car dealer if i'm an industry partner i'm leaning in really close not because 
this is like the story of every dealership or every uh, every person across the country. But if NPR is putting news stories out about this, about franchise retail dealers, leaning in and understanding what consumer perception of the retail environment is right now is extremely important to the way that we do business on a, on a daily basis. You know, NPR tends to be give it, give it, give it to you kind of dry, right? And right. which is why NPR is NPR. They kind of like, here are the facts, right? And, and the author of the article actually just was compelled to write this article out of his own personal experience. It wasn't something he was researching or following. He had this experience and he started digging a little bit and he was like, hey, let's, this needs to be talked about more. So, um, you know, I think the article gives a really efficient uh, overview of the franchise system, which is cool because he does a great job to educate people. This is the franchise system. This is where it came from. These are the pros and cons. And he went through, I thought, a substantial list of pros. It's actually a list of pros that we hear um, our dealers and us saying on the regular basis, like having a lot of places where consumers can go ask questions about product, check, you know, test drive product, have the product serviced. If there's a recall or something happened with the vehicle or from an OEM level, the franchise dealer is the one that's there in the community to solve it, to fix it, to be accountable for it, responsible for it. And not to mention all the jobs local dealers create. I don't think you mentioned how much they give back to the community, but I I would add that one as well. And so, you know, he's like, there are a lot of benefits to having this dealer network. I was like, this guy has given this article a really fair shake. Right. He's got both sides. Right. Yeah. But then he also covers, you know, he covered a little bit the lobbying power of the NADA that comes along with such economic leverage. Right. And he he questions like whether or not that's always going to be in the best interest in consumers or, you know, the over trillion dollar industry that actually has power to just keep things the way they want it in Washington. And then he starts to chronicle his truck buying experience. But first he does question. He's like, you know, one of the main arguments is that the dealer network, um, the dealer network helps keep um, OEMs from having a monopoly on pricing. But he's like, well, will right. they really have a monopoly on pricing because there seems to be a lot of OEM competition, right? I'm like, <laughs> that's a pretty fair right. point, there, right? Still, I have a yeah. Silverado and an F-150, right? If Chevy prices it less than Ford, that's called price competition, right? It's like right. I, exactly. you don't usually see price competition within the same manufacturer, you know what I mean? Like, there's no price competition for iPhones. I mean, I guess for some Android devices, you could see some other. But although he goes and starts to chronicle his truck buying experience and saying he just went like four, five, six hundred miles away from his place of right from I think he's in L.A., um, which explains a stolen trunk. Right. Um, so he, he goes like five, six hundred miles away <laughs> to find is <laughs> a little little one. And so and he what he says is that he found dealers that were charging up to 10, sometimes 20,000 over sticker. Uh, He did find dealerships that would allow him to buy an MSRP, but then we all know he'd have to wait to get it ordered. And then finally, he settled on a truck 400 miles away that was listed at five grand over sticker. He had negotiated it down to $2,000, actually had a sister negotiate for him because he didn't like negotiating, right? And so so she took care of it for him, right? But that just shows you. so painful. It is, the whole thing. The fact that you gotta have someone else help, like, because she was a lawyer is, is actually what the story is. She was a lawyer. He was like, oh, oh she'll. so he got it down to $2,000, which he said, you know, in typical times would be, you know, he'd feel like he got ripped off. But in this case, he feels like, okay, well, like that's kind of the best I'm going to be able to do. And he actually cites uh, Michelle, Michelle Krebs from uh, Cox Automotive. She's their leading research and executive analyst. She said for the first time in her career, and it's been a long career, she's seen most dealerships charging list price or over. And it's simply because there's high demand and low inventory and they can do it. She said, so um, 
Real talk. Th- think about this from like you're you're buying something and you feel so estranged as an intelligent human that has the capacity to write for NPR that you have to leave your local ecosystem of retail. What's travel four hundred miles away? We're not talking about right, which you know, is like a we're small talking about town LA. This guy has plenty of dealerships, right? Yeah. You have to travel four hundred miles away, leaving your retail ecosystem to purchase an item that then you have to involve a relative because a you feel so uncomfortable and inequipped to be able to purchase in a retail environment. Like, what would happen if someone was like, oh man, really want McDonald's today? close to mcdonald's that's not gonna cut it well, i'm gonna have to travel five well. five more miles and not just that but i don't feel comfortable enough going through the drive through and ordering i've got to have my sister come in and order that thing for me so i feel comfortable getting my mcdonald's now i know large purchase totally different retail ecosystem but you have to put yourself in the consumer's shoes at this point like there's nothing <laughs> that that sounds or feels good about that situation. I mean, right. The real talk is, is that there, there Jeff definitely is a reckoning happening right now in pop culture. Yeah. There's a reckoning happening in media when over MSRP, MSRP pricing started, right? Big conversation. Um, should we do it? Should we not do it? There are great dealers on both sides of that argument. The reality is though, yeah. this is becoming more and more a part of public discourse in a time when it's the last thing we need to be in public discourse and maybe a little short-sighted. That's There's it. one thing, if you're charging over MSRP, but you have such a great experience that it's okay, right? There's another thing if people just feel worked, right? If people right. feel worked, we're losing, right? We talked about yesterday that Carvana is like, Carvana is like 103% market pricing, right? Like Carvana is not cheaper. Right. Carvana is more expensive. Exactly. Granted, that's used cars. The real talk is this. It's not time to do this. Cover your ears and cover your eyes and be like, we'll get through it. It's not the time for that. It's the time because to read everybody's articles like talking this. about it. Right. Literally can't. everybody. It's it's we don't have to go far to find automotive articles outside of the automotive ecosystem. It is everywhere and everybody's talking about it. So we are top of mind as an industry for everyone. I mean, how many people do you walk into and they're like, oh, man, I was shopping for a car. Those prices, you know, <laughs> like that conversation happens to everybody everywhere. Why wouldn't we be aware of that as a general like retail ecosystem, understanding that we are in and amongst pop culture? I mean, it's it's just it's not lost on me that places like NPR or subreddits or, or Reddit threads are littered with this type of communication. And we just have to be aware of that as an industry. It's true. Speaking of being aware of ridiculous prices. Segway. Yeah, yeah, why not? Why not? We talked about this at the very beginning of the show. Bringatrailer.com is, um, I I don't even know what to call it. It's like a retail site that talks about, you know, sells unique vehicles or criteria if you're going to list on Bring a Trailer. And they send out a dealer, a, a daily email that probably millions of people. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands at least that get these every day. They, they right. highlight unique vehicles. And then some dealers that we know, uh, this was put, pushed to us by our friend, Todd Caputo. Um, 
you can just see some unique vehicles or at least get a feel for what the retail market is doing on vehicles. So there's a 2014 FJ Cruiser. Remember those? And it's one of, uh, it's a trail team's ultimate edition. So it's a little bit of a rarer one. The dealer who bought it originally just sold it. It's a 2014. It has like, I don't know, like 250 miles on it. Um, and the MSRP was 39753 And they just sold it for like $100,000. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you what, that's impressive. Look, here's the thing. In contrast to the prior conversation. Yeah, this is different. This is different. The market drives pricing based on the demand of a vehicle. And people want this 2014 FJ Cruiser. Honestly, I looked at it. Did we put it on the screen, right? It's pretty ugly in my opinion. (laughs) It's it's real ugly. Like you look inside it and you're like, it doesn't even have a screen, y'all. Claw seat. (laughs) Yeah. Doesn't yep. even have a screen. Uh, we so, so we went ahead and uh, there's another one as well. So there is a actually that sold for 103,000. Is that 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 right. auction is closed? Another Rivian RT1 Adventure Edition only has 47 miles on it. The original owner just took delivery of it in July. They bought it for 76,000. Bidding is currently at 100,000. So it's unbelievable. Holy flip! Well, it's hard to get those. I, uh, I mean, right. that's true. That's that's legit. You know. But that car that's an, looks cool. That's a, that has a couple screens in it. <laughs> it's, interior, got interior, that, like, it's got screens. It's got got screens. It's got it's got screens. All right. Speaking of retail, Segway time. Closing out with a little retail news: Nordstrom Rack. Their sales remain steady in Q2, actually up six percent, and they're making a move to push more premium products into their stores to cater to the higher economic profile of its consumers according to CEO yep. Eric Nordstrom. So sales went up Q2. Nordstrom Rack, if you're not familiar with it, so you've, everyone knows Nordstrom, right? Epic, customer right. experience, expensive. You, you get what you pay for, department store mentality. Nordstrom Rack is like, I don't know, if Nordstrom had a Marshalls, right? That would be Nordstrom yeah. Rack. Well, I mean, I think it's more elevated than that. It's essentially their outlet store. They put a lot of like their Well, Marshalls is like if the Adidas stuff. store had a Marshalls. Nordstrom Rack is like if Nordstrom had a mark. Like it's it's an elevated Marshalls. Yeah, yeah right. that's yeah, fair. Yeah. That's fair. They put a lot of like their 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 last year's stuff, um, you know, or or overstock, overstock in yeah. there. They have some uh, unique uh, element uh, items that go in the Nordstrom Rack, but um, it's just interesting that they're they're looking to push more premium products even into those stores, recognizing that the brand of Nordstrom is so attached to quality and premium that they can even afford to push a higher quality, higher, higher price product into the rack stores. That's pretty wild to me. Well, initially, are, like, well, initially they tried to get a, a broaden their consumer base. So they actually introduced right. some, some brands that they don't sell in Nordstrom into the Nordstrom rack stores to get a lower price point and try to broaden the consumer base. And now they're like, actually that's not helping us in this economic environment. We need people want deals on the same premium quality stuff. They just want that stuff, right. you know, in in a different format. And so um, they're doing that and they're working to also do some things like expand their next day pickup that they've piloted and now are rolling out in general. And so the bottom line is just, just another economic indicator of what's going on across economic status uh, or, uh, you know, economic um, 
I don't know, status is maybe. Well, right yeah, right. no, it's it's like we've we've been talking about this that that luxury buyers are are out in droves still. Like the the luxury economy, you know, we talked about. I can't remember who we were talking about, but just with interest rates driving down, it's not because uh, interest rates are driving down. It's because premium buyers and high credit tier buyers are out more than lower credit, lower tier buyers. So this is just another influence of that. Um, and, and I think it, it helps us gain a retail perspective in, in, in automotive as well for what, what buyers are out and what, what brand does to a buyer persona for any, any sort of retailer. No doubt. And no, John Roper, I did not say Nordstrom Rack is Marshall's. I said, if Nordstrom Rack had a, if Nordstrom had a Marshalls, it would be Nordstrom Rack. <laughs> fact check bloody. you on that. One. <laughs> so whatever, you, whatever go. it is you're doing today, um, we hope that you take some of this stuff really seriously in the heart as you go into the day. You know, our goal is that it affects your thinking, and we do indeed need your best thinking to solve this problem. Mm-hmm.